Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, welcome to The Guinea Pig. I'm Dr. Mariam Zamani, an oculoplastic surgeon and aesthetic doctor. And I'm Fiona Golfer, a writer and journalist. I'm no stranger to a cosmetic procedure, and I'm willing to try pretty much anything. Which is why I'm here, to make sure Fiona and anyone else that's out there considering a treatment to help make a better informed decision safely and to try and collect as much information as they can. Every fortnight, this podcast comes to you from Mariam's Clinic in Chelsea. If you're looking for an honest, no-holds-barred approach to invasive and non-invasive cosmetic surgery, then the guinea pig is here to help you. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the clinic for another episode of The Guinea Pig. Hi. The theme of today's episode is, well, it was going to be incredibly timely as we're talking about anesthetics and I was due to have one this morning. In fact, I was worried that I was going to be a bit thick-headed, but so stupid am I that I went to the wrong hospital this morning. So I'm not actually (laughs) recovering from being anesthetized. I'm recovering from walking the streets aimlessly and wondering why I'm so stupid. But... We would like like to welcome Dr. Alex Oliver. He is a consultant anesthetist, and we thought it would be important to discuss all things anesthesia. It's often a gray area in the world of procedures, and it's nice to have a little light shed on it. So thank you very much. Welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me. So just a, a few first initial questions. There's different kinds of anesthesia. Can you tell us what the difference is between a a general, a twilight, and a local anesthetic. Do you know, Fee? I think I do, actually. Thank you, Maria. Okay. I think I do. Well, the first place to start, I think, is that, and lots of people get confused about this, is there are lots of different types of general anesthesia, and there are probably a thousand cocktails of different types of general anesthesia that you could have. But the traditional one that most people remember or think about is the gas anesthesia, which is you go to sleep and then you're kept asleep by constantly breathing in and breathing out anesthetic gas, which keeps you unconscious. Um, Those gases go back a long time, probably right since the beginning of anesthesia 150 years ago. And nowadays we've come up with newer drugs which are intravenous, which have much nicer side effect profiles and recovery profiles and are generally better for you in all ways. And what about a twilight? 
So the twilight sort of anesthesia, sedation people talk about is actually just sedation. And sedation means that you are put into a state of semi-unconsciousness, if you want to talk about it like that, where you are not completely unconscious, you're not necessarily completely unaware of what's going on around you, but you should not mind. And you will probably remember snippets of things that went on, but you won't mind, and you probably won't remember very much, to be honest. But that is not full general anesthesia. General anesthesia gets rid of all your reflexes, your voluntary reflexes and some of your involuntary reflexes. So it's a more dangerous state to be in, some people think. Although I would also argue doing good sedation, twilight sedation, if you like, is actually sometimes harder to achieve to make sure people are comfortable, but also unaware of most of the things that are going on that they don't mind. What are the side effects? So um, this is the, the one thing that people are always worried about. They think they think always sedation is a better anesthetic because they're not fully asleep and that they will be able to recuperate faster and better. Having said that, you do a lot of my own cases and my patients snap out of it really quite quickly and it's as if two hours later they've you know, had a local essentially. So the effect of the anesthetic wearing off is really important. And is there anything that patients should ask for when they speak to their anesthetist? Because oftentimes they don't see them until the day of the procedure. I mean, bear in mind, a lot of, of a lot of what I will say is probably still only opinion-based, and the evidence is still emerging, and it's still, still coming forth as we're talking. But when people talk about sedation, they're probably comparing it to the old days of anesthesia, where you were given the, the sledgehammer anesthetic gases that would knock you out and make you very, very unconscious and make you, make you recover for a lot longer afterwards because you're constantly having to breathe out those drugs and they take a lot longer to get rid of. Nowadays, with the intravenous agents, they're fast onset and very fast offset. And also, they're much more closely monitored during the anesthetic because all the software in the intravenous pumps is cleverly contrived so that we know exactly how much we're giving you and how long it's going to take for it to go away. Um, we also are using much more complicated monitoring methods now with brain monitoring, which has become much more fashionable since intravenous anesthesia came in because people want to be sure that even though the computer is telling us the dose that we're giving, we want to make sure it's the right amount of dose. So we want to have a clinical effects monitor like a brain monitor to tell us that those patients are properly asleep. The advantage of the brain monitor is that it makes us not make people too asleep either, which often was the mm. case, I imagine, with the gas anesthetics. Too deep, basically. Too deep. Interesting. Which is why you wake up feeling that you've been hit with a sledgehammer. By a sledgehammer, yeah. So when I had my... Because there's nothing I like more than talking about my own medical conditions. <laughs> um, but when I had... I could go through about four anesthetics that I've had in the last year. Um, generals. So it's incredible. But the last one I had was an endoscopy because I've got stomach ulcers. You'll be happy to hear. And We're not happy to hear. I that. have no... I remember being given an anesthetic. I mean, I was told it was a, it was a very light anesthetic. I have no memory of what went on. I remember waking up at the end. I got up from the table. I actually went to the airport and got on a plane and went to, to do a work thing. But I wondered, because I felt quite sort of generally in life exhausted after mm. that, and what is the sort of the long-term effect? How long does it really take to get over an anesthetic? That's, again, difficult to answer without knowing exactly what you were given, because most of the time, 
in my experience, and I do a lot of endoscopy sedation mm -hmm. every mm -hmm. every week, every Wednesday. Maybe it week. was you who. <laughs> Maybe it was. I doubt it because you were snapped out of it. Because exactly. the sedation I give for that, the surgeon's talking to the patient 20 minutes later and they're going home yes. within an hour. Yes, and I was And I they're was feeling helpful. great. And the next yeah. time they come in, they say, I want exactly the same thing so again. So there is no kind of um, hangover. From, from, from that depends what the drug is yes. that you were given okay. and the way you were giving it and the adjuncts to that drug that were given so for instance you might have been given an intravenous anaesthetic drug which is good I you was. may have been given too much of it yes. which may have made you go too deep and right. you may have been given painkillers on top of that which may have had the drowsy effect and lasted okay. for a while afterwards what puts you at increased risk of a general anesthetic? So what are the things that your doctor needs to know about? Because oftentimes people think, for instance, oh, I'm just having an eye case. Uh, my doctor doesn't need to know that sure. I'm doing this and this. Because or they think it's a simple procedure. They think yeah. it's a simple procedure. So, so every anesthetic has an effect on your cardiovascular and respiratory system. So if there's any, any illnesses at all or any complications you've had in the past to any procedures or any medications you're on particularly, we need to know about it because you may think it's a very small and easy procedure, but the anesthetic may actually be far more complicated than you think. And why is it, um, I know the answer, but why is it uh, the, that you have to avoid eating and drinking after a certain period of time? And why is it so important to let the staff know if you have done so when you're having an anesthetic? So for instance, if you eat or drink anything milky, it may take your stomach six hours to properly empty that material. And when you have a proper, proper anaesthetic, not a, not a twilight sedation, you lose all your reflexes. So if something comes up into your throat, you won't cough and gag when it tries to go down the wrong way. And then it will go down the wrong way and, then, and go into your lungs. And then it's bad news and difficult to look after. That's why it's six hours for solids or milky substances and two hours for clear fluids. Because I was thrilled the last time I had... Uh, this procedure, they told me I could have my black coffee in the morning, okay. which I was very happy to hear because I was always thinking that you can't eat or drink for six, for six hours. Is it true that um, it can affect your memory and anesthetic can affect your memory? Because I've got to blame it on something. <laughs> I've got no memory at all. I mean, literally, it's a miracle I know my own there name. There is a lot of research going on at the moment, and there's been a recent paper about brain monitoring as well that we're trying to detect what it is that causes people, and it's generally speaking more elderly people, That's that me. have delirium episodes mm. or loss of memory afterwards. And we're trying to find out exactly what it is that causes that. My personal experience, and there are papers published about this, that there's definitely more morbidity, so sickness associated, and this was shown in two papers from Canada actually, that the deeper you are under anesthetic, the more profound effect it has on you. And that's because we know anesthetics are dirty drugs. We know what their, what their side effects are, but we also don't know what some of the other side effects are. I mean, we think they probably have uh, an effect on the immune system and the stress response system, etc. So actually, they probably affect memory and brain function. In what is the stress response system? So for instance, if you're having really, really major surgery, your body is going to have an inflammatory stress response because it, its cells are all being damaged to quite a marked degree. And those cells will undergo an inflammatory response and they'll all be working very much harder to repair themselves afterwards. And there's a sort of, all sorts of immune systems that come into play that we don't properly even understand yet. And we know that anesthetic drugs are extremely dirty. So they affect lots of systems. You know, that's why we have to know about your cardiovascular system and your respiratory system because we know that's all going to be 
affected in a detrimental way by the anesthetic that we give. So if the stress response is affected, maybe the brain's affected in other ways. So that's why with this EEG monitoring and brain monitoring, EEG means electroencephalograph, which is the brain, brain function of it, basically. If that is monitored and we don't make you too deep, we're giving you just the right amount of anesthetic. There's no common sense in giving you too much because we're giving you too much of something that's And in the old drug. days, there was no way of gauging that? No. And brain monitoring is only really coming into this country, I would say, in the last five, ten years, it's starting wow. to take some ground. It's been more widely used in Europe and, and the States and Australia before that, but now it's starting to gain some ground in this country. People are starting to understand it better and its implications. So how can you improve the recovery time from having a general anesthetic? So there are some people who, for instance, you know, have, have never um, taken much medication or uh, have very clean living, and so sometimes they can be a little bit more impacted, or they're just little people, lots of different reasons why you can be affected sure. more. So is there anything that can be done out after surgery to help clear those drugs from the body? Firstly, I think it depends on the surgery. So let's say you're having some sort of minor surgery, like you might have here, and then you're going to go home the same day. Nothing too much should make a massive impact on that, apart from making sure the anaesthetic is the right amount, the right depth, and you're not given given way too much of heavy dose painkillers, for instance, that you probably won't need. Then your wake-up profile should be good. If you then want a further further increase in your wake-up and recovery profile, staying well hydrated as soon as you can, mobilizing as soon as you can, and, and basically getting up and get going as soon as you can helps, definitely. But mobilization, is a, is a key hydration. Though. And the same before surgery, to get yourself in optimal condition before? The fitter you are, the better the you, better you, you will do with any type of surgery. Mariam and I are staring at each other in a, hmm, see, <laughs> kind of a way. <laughs> no, but you know, <laughs> actually, interestingly enough, so uh, about a year and a half, or maybe two years ago now, my mother had bunion surgery in the States. And... It was totally unremarkable. Everything went as planned. She had done both feet at the same time. And a few months later, soon after they had come back from a long-haul flight to believe they were in Japan and Asia, my mother came back and they went to dinner, my, my father and another couple. And at 7.30 in the evening, my mother started cutting her steak uh, with a spoon. And she was not... Just, you know, she was speaking normally, and then from one minute to the next, she fell asleep. Of course, everybody thought it was a stroke, some sort of, you know, event happened. She was taken, scanned. Everything was fine. Nothing happened. Uh, a few weeks later, they go and have breakfast, my mother and my father, and my mother, again, starts to, you know, she had a little bit of uh, porridge, and she took it with a knife instead of uh, with... Uh, with a spoon but having a normal conversation mm. and mm. you know my father was like oh, what is going on my parents are both doctors again she had a complete workup and the only thing they could possibly I felt like they blamed it on the anesthesia because yeah. that's the only thing they and could have but they, but they it never happened oh, again common. Common to blame it. Common to blame it. So it never happened again. Uh, those were the two incidences. Very scary. And how for long us. after the anesthetic was the first but incident? Met, uh, at least you know they went on a on a trip, so it couldn't have been too soon because when you have bunion so surgery, you can't walk. A, at must least have been weeks, mustn't it? Uh, at least six weeks sure. before, if not. So longer. I mean, 
It would have definitely cleared the body by then, yes. I imagine. Even probably six hours. Six hours. <laughs> it would, would have, have probably been, been completely out. Is that how long it takes? Most anesthetics, about six hours the to clear the body. Intravenous anesthetics. Yes. Will be out within an hour, probably. Really. Probably less, depending on what surgery you're having. And the other thing that. So in theory, you could have an operation in the morning, intravenous anesthetic, and be at your desk. I, I frequently have patients that are, are walking out after an hour. Yeah. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And then, but not to ride, you know, drive a car or no, do any- No, we still aren't sure about the reflex effects. So for instance, mm-hmm. even with a sedation where I know that my drug is going to be metabolized by you in five minutes, I have no idea whether your voluntary reflexes, for instance, for when you're driving a car, it will be affected. Mine are great the, at the best of times. <laughs> the old-fashioned sedations and the old-fashioned anesthetics, we used to say at least 24 hours just yeah. to be safe. And we still do say that because we don't have any evidence to the country, but my, my actual opinion is it will be much quicker than that. And people walk out of the hospital looking absolutely normal. So a lot of patients of mine are always concerned and worried about having a breathing tube. And I actually find that slightly reassuring being a doctor because I always say, God forbid something does happen in in the event um, while you're being operated on, having that breathing tube is actually the first line of any treatment that would be initiated. But uh, my patients also often ask me, does that have any impact on their physical well-being? And, uh, you know, I always refer it back, but if you could elaborate on that. So a breathing tube that some people hear about means a a tube that we sometimes, sometimes, and not all the time by any means, have to put in to control people's breathing. And we do the breathing for them a lot of the time with our ventilator. The tube actually goes into the windpipe and it's put in by all of us. That's our expertise in training to put those tubes in comfortably and make sure that they sit comfortably for the patient. Nonetheless, if you've had a a breathing tube in, the proper name is an endotracheal tube, then you might have a sore throat afterwards just because of where it's gone. It's gone between your vocal cords and you're going to feel that a bit when you wake up. It shouldn't last long. When you eat and drink, that should all start going away. What I would say is that for the majority of procedures, particularly the procedures that are done here, you probably will be very unlucky to ever encounter a breathing tube. We can put something else just that just sits in the mouth called a laryngeal mask that doesn't go anywhere near your vocal cords or, or your trachea and is much more comfortable and well tolerated. And to be honest, you, you won't feel anything when you wake up. So remember, um, there, I remember hearing about, for instance, what is the turning point of having too, uh, too long of a procedure? So for, uh, for 
aesthetic procedures, of course, they're they're not. You know, it's not having a bypass surgery. It's not essential. It's totally uh, something. You know, non-essential essentially. Um, so, having a there was a case where a plastic surgeon. California had his patient under eight or nine hours of general anesthetic for a facelift and she woke up and she jumped off a building Um, and she was you know obviously young and relatively Mm. young and fit to be able to undergo such a lengthy procedure in the first place but what is the the cutoff between having like a quick easy you know turnaround versus it then going to the side of maybe she should have had somebody with her or maybe been better you know, educated about the risk of having... It really depends on the surgery. The the length of time isn't the problem. It's the surgery and the amount of stress you're going to put that person's physiology under. So if you're having very superficial surgery, which might take a long time because it's very fiddly, Hmm. you're not actually going to put that patient's body under much stress, that patient's physiology. And as long as the anaesthetist has all the tools at their hand to keep everything cruising and everything normal and to make their physiological responses normal, then they should wake up and feel it's been exactly the same as having a procedure that was an hour long rather than six hours long. Okay. It shouldn't be any different. But if the surgery is more involved and more invasive, then that will have implications on how the patient feels afterwards and how they respond to afterwards, and that might require more specialized care afterwards. You hear about, oh, well, the you know the risk of anesthesia is more than the actual procedure, and... And I, I always get, I get almost offended for the anesthetist sometimes because I think that actually if you have a good anesthetist, then, you know, it makes your surgery easier and it makes your recovery faster as well. And unfortunately, a lot of people never meet their anesthetist before surgery. No, that's surgery. true. And but I think you do see their files beforehand. That's true. And I think some, sometimes patients have some unreal expectations that have to be countered by the anesthetist saying, well, actually, this is what you are going to need, and yes, you are going to have to stay here overnight, or also countered by the fact that sometimes we say, look, you're going to be fine with this. You're going to wake up, and you're going to be able to go home. No trouble. And you're not going to be in lots of pain. I think meeting your anesthetist is incredibly important. I mean, I know that I seem to have a lot of operations, but I do think... I've nearly always, as far as I can remember, met my anaesthetist always come to see me and we always have a very nice chat. I'm trying to remember what it was I was having done, but it, it could have been when I was having my a tummy tuck, actually, some thousand years ago. But I remember this feeling as, the, as I was being given the anaesthetic, I remember feeling like my head hit a rock. Mm. It was really an uncomfortable feeling in the back of my neck. And recently when I was having this endoscopy, I, I, I remember saying, do you know what, the last time I, ha- I, I felt, and he said, oh, well, don't worry, this one's going to feel like you're having a gin and tonic. <laughs> you know, and there is definitely a different way of kind of going under. And that is. going under, by the way, is a very delicious moment. Yes. <laughs> it's something that I I quite He's enjoy. Stolen my line. So. <laughs> <laughs> that is his line, actually. Is it the tonic? Is it your line? Okay, so maybe it's kind of in your world. I don't even know. I don't He's like stolen your line. <laughs> Me either. But I do remember thinking, well, okay, generally. I'll have to change it to a glass of champagne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bubbly. But why did my head feel like it's a titter rock? Um, again, a thousand different cocktails. Depends what you're given. If you're given it too quickly, a lot of people do say that it was all so sudden mm-hmm. and wham bam. Mm-hmm. I like a gentle slide. Yes, and I, I must admit, with the intravenous computerized pumps that we use these days, it's much smoother, right. much gentler. You still go to sleep quickly, yeah. don't get me wrong. Yeah. I remember when I had my C section and they gave me um, my injection, I 
it hit me in like one second. I had an emergency C-section, so they were trying to get me under very quickly. I felt very cold, very, very quickly and shivery, and I thought I was going to throw up. And, and then, the and then I said that to my anesthetist who was standing right there, and he said, I'll take care of it. And 30 seconds later, it was gone. It was amazing. The very, uh, very uh, common side effect of a spinal anesthetic. Yeah. Is the cold? Yes. yes. My epidural didn't work down. when I was oh having my, gosh. Um, my, ch- my son. But it's very it's scary when you, when you actually yeah. know what's going on, when you're awake and you have an anesthetic, because then it's almost like you've lost control sure. over part of your body. Do you, and you think being think a doctor as well makes you more aware of... Sort of. I, I think, you know, for me, I think this episode is really important because I have a lot of people who don't know enough about anesthetic and always are very fearful. So they may even put off surgeries that they might need because they're more know. scared yes, of the anesthesia yeah. than the actual procedure itself. Yeah. And I, I think it is really an important topic to know, like, what you're having, having done, who your anesthetist is, you know... I think it's also really important. I, for instance, I work with a very small group of anesthetists, and I think it, most doctors do. And I think it is important to have that sort of relationship yeah. because each type of procedure has a different best cocktail almost. And so, I think if you are just whoever is there that day is doing it, might not work best with the doctor or the surgeon that yeah. you're having at hand. So, for me, I think the anesthetist is is just as important as the surgeon in many ways. And your recovery, if you have a better recovery from everything, you're going to heal faster, you're going to feel better, and you'll have a more positive experience from, from your procedure I think in what general. you say is absolutely right, Marin. And um, I think that's why nowadays as well there's, there's more emphasis on pre-assessment clinics in many hospitals, and anesthetists are seeing patients sometimes weeks before they have the procedure, certainly at the hospital I work at. And that's a very positive thing, and patients feel very positive Because you that. demystify. Yeah. Demystify you, everything, yeah. and actually you reassure them. Yeah. And you, know, you can say, this is what to expect, this is nothing to be scared of, yeah. this is what's going to... This, this is, is how what you're I going feel. To feel when you yes. wake up, what you're going to have in, what you're not yeah, going to so have in. that's so reassuring. And they like it. And then they see you again on the day, and they're reassured because they haven't just met you. And you What's also know what to expect. But that's Do you, um, is there a sort of age cutoff when it does become more dangerous to have an anesthetic? Age or health? Age. Or, or I, I just think it's, when it's, you're older, do you think it's a... Marion's right, it's health. Or health. There's plenty yeah. of very fit 85-year-olds walking around okay. who are probably easier to anesthetise than some 55-year-olds okay. who are in a much poorer state of health. So it's really about your health. And things like smoking and... Smoking is definitely a no-no. Drinking is a no-no. And drinking lots of alcohol just before the operation. Drinking and smoking just before your anaesthetic is definitely a big no-no. These days, would you say drinking and vaping? I don't even know what vaping does to your system. I have no idea. Vaping, we're still investigating. We think it's probably going to have some effects, some negative effects. Smoking has hundreds and hundreds of negative effects. And it's not just about the nicotine. Yeah. Fascinating. It is fascinating. I think the important thing is that um, anesthesia is particularly safe, I think, these days, and is becoming even more safe. And um, it's not something to be scared of. 
And I think if you ask the right questions about it, every decent initiative should be able to reassure you. In my world, I know a lot of people who are, for whatever reasons, recovering alcoholics, recovering addicts, who are often very nervous about having anaesthetic because how you treat people who have got drug or alcohol problems. So there is, I imagine, an opiate entity component component to an anaesthetic. How do you how do you speak or deal with people who come to you with addiction issues? So it's very useful to know if they are taking drugs like that because obviously their opiate receptors are going to be more what's the word? They're going to be downgraded. So we're probably going to have to give them a lot more pain-killing parts of the anaesthetic to overcome that. And that's important to know because there are various components to anaesthetic and and the classic components are the sleep anaesthesia, but also a decent pain-killing element because when you're asleep you still feel pain so we have to overcome that otherwise yes otherwise your physiology will react to that you might become hypertensive high blood pressure high heart rate and not react in the right way and also you're going to wake up in pain which we don't want you to if we don't overcome it and there's you know there's there are also other elements but those are the two key important ones so if you are if you are taking opiate drugs for instance in your own spare time and we don't know about that we might underdose you and then we might get funny effects from that, that do you make that very to. clear when you meet your uh, patients i mean it's, I it's don't know not that. something i would routinely ask them yeah. no but to be honest with all the monitoring we have as well especially the brain monitoring we can you usually can, tell oh you can tell you can even, we can uh, tell. even for somebody who's a recovering or has hasn't touched a we drug can in a tell while. that they're needing a lot more analgesia painkilling strong opiate that we would use under anesthesia than we would expect hmm. and, and and is there a kind of post-operative are the risks higher if you've used more not necessarily no you will find they will probably need more anesthetic they yeah. will probably need much more painkilling medicines afterwards and stronger painkilling medicines afterwards which might surprise some people if they didn't know beforehand yeah um but again, if you have that knowledge beforehand, you can prepare for it and you can make sure they get what they need afterwards. Fascinating. Very interesting. All of it. Yeah. Going to sleep is a big job. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alex, for coming in. Thanks, Mara. Fascinating. Thank Thanks you again. so much. Lovely Pleasure. to meet you. Thank you, everybody, for listening and see you next week. And make sure you follow us on Instagram at the Guinea Pig Podcast. Plus, you can email us or if you've got any questions for Alex or Mariam or for some reason me you could email us at the guinea pig pod at gmail.com see you next week thank you the guinea pig provides unbiased information to those who may be considering cosmetic surgery or even trialing a non-invasive treatment or product we do not endorse the use of any product or procedure featured in this podcast and are not responsible for the outcome of any of the treatments featured on this podcast or damage caused in connection with any treatments or products should you decide to try any of the procedures treatments or products mentioned in any episode of the guinea pig you do so at your own risk always consult an independent and fully qualified medical professional if you are considering embarking on a medical procedure irrespective of whether it's an invasive or non-invasive procedure mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.